Our God is with you. And also A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus came to the neighborhood of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples this question. Who do people say, what do people say about who the chosen one is? They replied, some say John the baptizer, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And you, he said, who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah, Simon Peter answered, the firstborn of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, begot of Jonah. No mere mortal has revealed this to you, but my Abba God in heaven. I also tell you this. Your name now is Rock. And on bedrock like this, I will build my community, and the jaws of death will not prevail against it. Here, I will give you the keys to the reign of heaven. Whatever you declare bound on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you declare, declare loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then Jesus strictly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. The good news. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ. I can't help it. I have to begin my remarks today by trashing this gospel reading. <laughs> but not all of it, just the second half. Because we are in the cycle C readings in our lectionary, we hear Matthew's version of this story instead of Mark's or Luke's. I find that unfortunate because the last four verses of the reading, which are not found in Mark or Luke, have Jesus conferring a special power on Peter. I'll give you the keys to the reign of heaven. You, Peter, will be the rock on which I will build my church. Only Matthew's Jesus elevates Peter this way. The others don't. Four, those four verses are a problem. As a cradle Catholic, I grew up hearing them used as the basis for seeing the Pope as the successor of the first Pope, Peter. Traditionalists say that Pope Francis is the 265th successor of Peter. A questionable assumption behind that idea is that Jesus intended to build a church to start a whole new religion and ordain its first great leader. It is also doubtful that Jesus gave him the keys to the reign of heaven and absolute royal powers similar to the opening and shutting we heard about in today's Isaiah passage. And can we accurately say that Jesus wanted to leave all that binding and loosing in the hands of one flawed person. 
Not really. He gives that power to everyone just two chapters later. Also, you have to wonder how he, how he came up with the number 265 because there have been periods in our sometimes shameful Christian history when there were as many as three men all claiming to be the legitimate successor of Peter. <laughs> all at the same time. Sorting through all the historical complications and the theological problems behind a common interpretation of this reading just makes me wish that those last four verses of today's gospel didn't exist. They create more problems than they solve, and they are not consistent with what Jesus taught elsewhere. About what he taught about what we call leadership. More about that coming up. I suspect that Matthew, or an editor, inserted those four troublesome verses because there was confusion in Matthew's community about the role of Peter. He was clearly seen as a person of great importance among the followers of Jesus after his death, even though he is depicted as a bit of a buffoon in the Gospels, not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Perhaps people were asking, who died and made him king? So maybe to shore up Peter's status, this passage was written, clearly showing Jesus' strong and enthusiastic approval. Yet, we get a bit of mental whiplash just a few verses later when Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. What? And this is the guy who, according to Matthew, you just put in charge of the whole enterprise? Get behind me, Satan? What was that all about? We will hear that gospel next week. Can't wait to hear what Kathy does with that. <laughs> but those first three verses of today's gospel have a lot of value. The ones that address the question of who Jesus really is. Peter answers, you are the Messiah. Other translations say, the Christ, the anointed one of God. Peter chose to use a highfalutin, majestic title in answer to the question, who do you say that I am? But ignore what others say, Jesus seems to be saying. Ignore all that prophetic and kingly nonsense and get real. Who am I to you? A popular spiritual exercise is to place yourself in the biblical scene. Imagine that you are there among the disciples and you are asked for an answer. What would you say? My answer at this stage in my life might be something like this. You, Jesus, are the one in whom I most clearly and genuinely encounter the divine, the great mystery. In you, I experience the God that we call love. You're my friend, my teacher, the one who makes real for me the riches, the wisdom, the knowledge of God, as Paul said in today's second reading. The one for whom, through whom, 
and from whom all has being. You, dear Jesus, are for me the human embodiment of all that. But beyond all that mystical jargon, I treasure what you taught your disciples about serving one another as the true meaning of leadership. In John's Gospel, you asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And as a way to show his love, you told him, Feed my sheep. I don't for a minute believe you actually gave Peter some kind of absolute dictatorial authority. Instead, you just wanted him to shine the light that was already in him. That's what good leaders do. They call forth the best in others. You, the Christ of my faith, are society's wisest social critic. You noted that the allegedly great people make their importance felt, that the leaders of the Gentiles push their people around. This is not to happen among you, you taught. Greatness, you said, is about humbly serving the rest. And if you want to be the first, you must serve the needs of all. Not an easily accepted message for the rich folks, the billionaires, and kings, and CEOs. You, Jesus, are the one who made me understand that the kingdom of God, in which we are all kin, is vastly different from the system of fear and control and rewards and punishments that we tend to live by. You are the one whose parables tell me about how precious that kingdom is and how it becomes visible every time we serve one another in love. Your stories shock me out of my selfishness and reveal the power of compassion and forgiveness. The prodigal, the good Samaritan, the lost sheep. You are my main spiritual director, Jesus of the Gospels. From you I have learned that leadership is an inadequate word to describe what you envision in your kingdom. Leadership is half of a dangerous dualism that implies that there are leaders and there are followers, and that says it all. I know that you are the one who desires that all your people both lead and follow. From you, I have come to love how my faith community together exercises leadership, how it helps my faith to mature. You, my friends, lead me way more than I lead you. You truly do. Who are you, dear Jesus? You are the expander of my thinking. You did the same for Paul when your spirit made him see our amazing radical oneness. How in Christ there is no Jew or Greek, slave or citizen, male or female. Your spirit makes me go further. No gay or straight, no cisgender or transgender, no rich or poor, no young or old, no conservative or liberal. All are one. In Christ Jesus, Paul says in Galatians, all the language of labels you taught me, dear Jesus, can be a language of exclusion. And when it is, it has no place in the kingdom.
Well, that's a long-winded reply to Jesus' question. <laughs> Who do you say that I am? He probably would have loved it. Oh, you're the Christ, or you're the Messiah. He loved Peter's answer, no doubt. But however you answer it, I imagine would say a lot about your thinking regarding where the body of Christ is going and how we get there. About how you handle your status as a successor to Peter. No, there have not been 265 successors. Over the centuries, there have been billions. Each one an image of the divine. Each one called to be a leader as well as a follower in the ways of holiness. The kingdom is not just about decisions made by kings and popes. It's about all of us and our collective response to the spirit. It's more than a community listening to what the spirit is saying. It's more about that than about I hereby decree. More about love than law. More about serving than about being served. It's not one person saying the buck stops here. It's about all of us working together to be the rock on which divine justice can be built. Last Sunday, Tom spoke beautifully about how Jesus grew in wisdom through his encounter with the Canaanite woman. She led him. She taught him that his mission was not just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. From her, he learned that great faith could come from people he foolishly called dogs. Or when Patty read it, puppy dogs. <laughs> Peter also had to grow out of that sense of Jewish superiority. He had to grow out of that. He said in a story in the Acts of the Apostles, God made it clear to me not to call anyone unclean or impure. Don't call them dogs. Don't call anyone intrinsically disordered. Devalue no one. How human and how flawed the Christian church can be. Imperfect leaders as well as followers need to be led. A Jesus who himself had to be led to grow in wisdom is a Christ I am proud to follow. This coming October, more than 400 Catholics from all over the world will gather in Rome for a synod, defined as a meeting of church officials, including, this time, laity, lay people to discuss and discern how best to respond to some complex issues facing the future of the church. David McCallum, a Jesuit priest who will be one of the facilitators for the month-long meeting, said that we can't do the synod in the same unilateral, hierarchical way of the past. He's right. We all know that won't work because it's just not consistent with the Jesus of the Gospels. Father McCollum observed, my take on the world is only partial. And I need to be in relationship with people who see and operate differently in the world in order to have a fuller view. My friends, helping one another to have that fuller view is an essential feature of leadership 
the early Christians under Peter had to learn that. It's time we all did. And it starts with answering the question, who do you say that I am?